Welcome to the Book Smarts Business Podcast. Conversations with business expert authors to learn about the author, their expertise, and to help you find your next read. And now, here's your host, best-selling author and CEO of Influence Network Media, Jody Brandsetter. Jason, welcome to the Book Smarts Business Podcast. I am so excited to talk about your book. It's all about CEX, not SEX. But before we chat about the book, I would love to know a little bit more about you and what you do. Hey, Jody, thanks so much for having me on the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure and delight. You know, I've spent a lifetime growing businesses, either my own or others like Target and Volkswagen, through a relentless focus on the experiences promised and ultimately delivered. And when I say a lifetime, I actually started my very first business at just 14 years of age. And when I was interviewed by a current affair and various publications, I said I couldn't compete on price, but I could compete on service. Little did I know at the time, but you know, many decades later, I've literally built a career helping organizations grow by focusing on the experiences they deliver. So I got to know, what was the first business? What was it about? Yeah, so the first business was selling telecommunication equipment, the very first mobile phones that you'd carry around in a bag, you know, that weighed a couple of pounds each. You had to unzip them and put up the antenna to use and desktop computers that would weigh a ton. And then basically anything business supply related. I started selling computers and mobile phones because mum and dad wouldn't buy them for me. So I had to find a way to make the money to buy them for myself. But then as I was supplying businesses, they would say, well, can you sell us the printer ink or can you sell us you know pens and i was up for it i was happy to make money started as that technology business and then evolved over time in fact by the time i was 21 i had started three successful businesses the second one was a domestic and commercial carpet cleaning and pest control business with vans on the road telemarketers yes those people that ring you in the middle of dinner every night trying to sell you carpet cleaning some of those people were my people then my third business before i turned 21 it was successful because of what I learned from it, but it was a video rental store. And we all know the story of Blockbuster. Now it was well and truly closed down before Netflix came along. But let's just say I understood from that business, the importance of location and playing in a market that you can win. Wow, that's amazing. Three businesses. And here in the States, you would just be learning how to drink. That's amazing. So tell me, you know, obviously, you talked about your drive about wanting to be able to purchase these different technologies as a kid. But what do you think were some of those internal drivers that you had to be able to do that? Because it's not easy starting a business, or we all would be starting businesses. Well, it's not easy to start and it's certainly not easy to keep it going, right? It's always an argument that I have, which one's the harder one? I was really fortunate. My grandparents on both sides of the family were entrepreneurs. My grandmother and grandfather on mum's side had a clothing store all of my childhood. On dad's side of the business, we had farms and accounting practice. And even though I wasn't involved in their businesses, them being around that when they grew up meant that they also wanted to have some side hustles at times. And from a really early age, I just started reading business magazines. And I felt that there had to be a better way to do it than just buying TV ads or buying print ads. And I fell into people like Tom Peters, who wrote in Pursuit of Wow. In fact, my very first audio book, I arrived on a cassette, so you can guess my age, was actually In Pursuit of Wow by Tom Peters. I bought it on Amazon.com when it was, you know, really literally just a bookstore. Had it shipped from America to Australia and listened to it and, you know, agreed 
in my own way as a, you know, I think I was 13 when I listened to his book, in my own way agreed that, yes, this made sense. You know, there was something about the people as opposed to just the commodities that you were dealing with. So to kind of flip it back to your book, I mean, becoming an author is also extremely hard. Not everyone does it. So tell me a little bit about why you decided to become an author and why that really helped maybe impact your business or what was the business case, I guess, around it too. Yeah, yeah. So look, one of the things that I say being a 14-year-old entrepreneur taught me was tenacity. I remember having to literally read pieces of legislation, convince the bank to let me open a checking account because the bank branch didn't think I was allowed to, but I had to find a way because that's how you did business, right? And writing a book is something you just have to have tenacity. You know, you have to put in the hard yards. And when I say the hard yards, you have to put the 30, 40, 50,000 words on paper at some point. It can't just be a collection of ideas. And I always had this dream of writing a book that would help people at any stage in their career, but give them a really practical way to get moving forward, to improve the experiences they were delivering. And the reason why I wanted to write the book was because in my career, I was being asked to make things better for customers. You know, I was a manager in a department of a phone company and every single customer that came to that department was disappointed with the company. Our title was the Center for Customer Experience, but that was a little bit of a furphy because what we're actually trying to do was fix disgruntled customers, you know, fix the issue that the disgruntled customers had. And I had to just make it all up. You know, I had to draw on things that I had read, but there was no practical guide. And I always wanted to create this practical guide to help people improve. Now, in the book, I share my approach to improving the experience for both customers and employee. The book is called It's All About CEX, The Essential Guide to Customer and Employee Experience. And I share examples of what I've done and how that turned into $60 million in sales, how it 3x the number of leads that we had coming into a business. You know, from banking, telecommunications, automotive, retail, even procurement with a government organization, I've found that when you improve the experience you deliver, the ROI, the commercial outcomes can be quite significant. But the thing that a lot of people get caught up with when they think about customer experience or employee experience, it's about giving everything away, making everyone happy. Let's hug everyone and they will love us. I take in the book a really practical commercial approach to customer and employee experience. Would we like to give everyone free lunches or free gold bullion with every purchase? I'm sure it'd be fun for a while, but it's not really commercially viable, right? So in the book, it's a practical guide to help you define what you mean by customer and employee experience, and then set a plan to deliver that in a way that grows your business in a commercially savvy way. Yeah, I think a lot of people also assume that engaged employees are happy employees when actually happiness has nothing to do with engagement. And so it's kind of the same when you're talking about the experience, right? Yeah, it's never, I would tell my daughter, rainbows and sunshine and puppy dogs. There's all these other pieces to it that you have to work through. So getting everything for free is not the option. But I'm curious, so my background has been in HR. So the employee experience is something that I've dealt with for over 20 years. And I know a lot of times people say, well, you have to treat your employees like customers. And I'm just curious, do you find that to be true or are there different ways for the experience to happen for a customer and an employee? 
Well, there's some similarities, but there are also some important differences. The similarities are that when someone comes to work for you, they want to have success. And when someone buys from you, they're wanting to have success. You know, they're wanting to achieve something. In both instances, they want to achieve something. How they go about it is different. I think what it comes back to, though, is the promise that we make as an employer or the promise we make as someone trying to sell something. And we need to deliver on that promise. The promise does a number of things. A, it attracts a sort of person to work for us. Then it also gives us a yardstick to measure our performance as leaders of our the Ritz-Carlton refers to their team members as ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And they make a very public promise of what that means. Now, that means that every leader has to start their day with respect. Even if they've got an underperforming team member, or a team member that's doing everything wrong, you start from a place of respect. And the moment they stop doing that, then that leader isn't living the promise, isn't living the brand. And I think that is what has worked for me. You know, in large organizations, you always have an employee engagement survey, right? And you will have those raving employee fans of yours, those that would die in a ditch with you to achieve something. And then you have the others that are sharp the knife as they're filling out the survey. And my experience has been that the ones sharpening the knives are because they don't like that you're actually doing what you say you're going to do. You know, that you're going to deliver on your promise, but as part of delivering on your promise, you need the employee to deliver on their commitment to do their job well, to deliver whatever they're being remunerated for. Now, of course, we all like champagne and, you know, treats from time to time, but I found that those particular elements are not what sustains great employees. It's the rewarding performance against your promise and what they've promised and allowing people to grow in the process. And so, yes, there are some similarities. You know, in the book, I tell you to make a promise to your customers and make a promise to your employees, but how we execute those and how we manage through those when things go wrong are vastly different. Now, there's been a lot of disgruntled customers for maybe a reason, maybe no reason. It's definitely been, you know, much harder to be a customer interactive employee. What are maybe some tips or tactics for maybe that server or that person who is in front of that customer who is disgruntled for good reason or for no reason? Yeah. The first thing is to make sure that the customer feels heard. And so I get it is really difficult to do this, but the more you practice, even in fake situations, the better you'll get. Just let them talk. Sometimes the pressure is released by the person who's disgruntled communicating why they're disgruntled. The second step is to agree and acknowledge their frustration. Not agree that they're right, but agree that they have a right to be frustrated, that you've heard their frustration and that you want to make it right for them. Now, if you've got someone ringing you saying that they don't want to pay their cell phone bill because they didn't you know, budget properly, I'm not saying you agree with them that's your problem and you're going to waive the bill, but agree and empathize with them that it must be frustrating that they're in this situation and I'm going to help you get to the other side of this situation. Because even in the most unrelenting situations where the consumer is absolutely wrong, their frustration that they're taking out on you is because some sense of what they need to achieve can't be achieved. And the more that we can help them build the bridge to get to where they want to be or need to be, the quicker we'll diffuse the situation. So the first step was let them be heard. Don't interrupt them. Seek clarity if you need to, but let them be heard. Then acknowledge that they have an absolute right to be frustrated and that your 
job in this situation is to navigate a path forward. And then the third step is tell them what you're going to do and when you're going to do it by. Most often people are frustrated through a lack of trust. And by saying what you're going to do and when you're going to do it and making sure you do it by then and keep them updated, you'll regain that trust and diffuse the situation. Now, there will be, of course, instances where you won't have a timeline where you can say, I'll call you back in three days or three weeks or whatever the case might be. It might have to be resolved straight away, but still do that step. I've heard you. I understand what you're trying to achieve. And this is how we're going to move forward to achieve that. And so in that listening stage, seek to understand what they're actually trying to achieve because all the guff in the middle doesn't matter. Then communicate that you understood the problem, you understand what they're trying to achieve and how you're going to get them there. I love that. It's all about the listening, empathy and communicating and actually saying what you're going to do and not say something and not do it. I think that's probably where most of the frustration lies is that trust side that you were talking about. Yeah. And there's one thing that I could encourage anyone in a face to face or consumer facing role is to remember that 99% of the time, the frustration isn't with you. It's with the situation or the business that you're representing. And your job is simply to help navigate the person to a better state. Now, if you've made a mistake and that's caused the frustration, own it. Because the moment you own it, you'll diffuse the situation and be able to get the conversation going towards a resolution. But just again, as I said, remember 99% of the time, it's not you, it's something outside of your control and your job is to diffuse the situation and help them move forward. Absolutely. We hear everything so personally, but I agree. Like every time as a consultant, if I make an error and I tell my client I made an error and this was what the error was, and this is how I'm going to either fix it or how I'm going to do better next time. And each time they appreciate that communication, that honesty. I've never lost a client because I made an error and because you're being open and honest about it. And I think, again, that's sometimes what the customer wants is for you to own it and say, yeah. I messed up. That was me. Let's see how we can fix it. Let's walk this through. Or yeah, my company made that mistake. Absolutely. Let's see how we can fix it. So many wonderful tips there, Jason. I really appreciate it. And I really appreciate you joining me today. I know it's the evening in Australia and it's the morning here in the States. So I appreciate you taking your evening with me and talking. And it's all about CEX, the essential guide to customer employee experience. Sounds like an amazing book. I also see it's an audio book, which is one of my favorite ways to read nowadays. So Jason, if our audience would like to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? The best way is to follow me on any social platform or LinkedIn at Jason S. Bradshaw and my website, jasonsbradshaw.com. Always happy to field questions online and help where I can. Fantastic. We'll add those as well as a link to your book. Jason, thank you so much for being a part of the Book Sparks Business Podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Book Smarts Business Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show and share this episode with a friend. In the meantime, join our business author community where you can connect with other business authors and learn about becoming an author at authors.influencenetworkmedia.com. Until next time.